The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky thing, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID 19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back to uh, part two of today's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. And did we lose Henry? I'm back now. Yeah, well, Henry. I will at least uh, say welcome back to East Village Magazine consulting editor Jan Worth Nelson, and hopefully we'll hear back from uh, Henry shortly, and he'll rejoin the the conversation. Um, let's see, where did we... Uh, we were talking about uh, some of the state news uh, as we wrapped up the last hour. Um, we'll pick it up with a group that sponsored a petition drive to repeal a state emergency law asked the Michigan Supreme Court Friday to order a state elections panel to certify its efforts. Unlocked Michigan went to court after the Board of State canvassers deadlocked two to two along partisan lines on certifying its petition to repeal the Emergency Powers of Governor Act of 1945. In refusing to act, the board failed to fulfill its clear duty to certify um, and ultimately violated plaintiffs' constitutional rights. Unlock Michigan and two voters who signed its petition said in a court filing. 
Disputes over certification of uh, ballot proposals now go directly to the Supreme Court, which is where they have generally ended up anyway. The emergency law became a hot-button issue last spring after Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer used it to issue a stay-home order and other restrictions to address the coronavirus pandemic over the objections of the Republican-controlled legislature. Will reaching herd immunity make this litigation moot? Hmm. I mean, theoretically, probably not. Although I think, that in reality, once we get, if we get to that point, it may be maybe less consequential. What's, what I wonder about that about the proposal, though, is does that limit the power of the health department? Because my understanding is, when the governor lost the powers under the forty-five law, she simply shifted and had the health department issue somewhat similar orders. And I don't know that the 45 law quite covers that. So I'm not, I'm not clear of, of the reach of this proposal. And then I, I follow, uh, Paul, I agree with you. As I say, I, I mean, the, the courts have already said the 45 law uh, is, is limited as far, as far as the governor's concerned. But say her reaction simply was to pass the buck to the health department and say, okay, you guys issue the orders. And pretty much the same thing happened. So I, I mean, see Henry I mean, is, is with us. I, I thought good, we good, lost good to have you back, Henry, yeah. Yeah, I was always here. I was just probably reading something. I was reading something during the time that we were <laughs> Uh, I think I, mean, I think abstractly the issue ought to be clarified. I mean, once we get past the pandemic, you know, there's going to be something in the future that's going to raise similar kind of questions, and it would be good to have the issue clarified as to exactly how far the governor's powers go uh, as an abstract issue above and beyond the current partisan squabble over the pandemic. But the, the legislature will eventually get this right. The governor and the legislature will eventually. It'll take a while, but people are going to be demand accountability. They're going to demand that they uh, uh, avoid this kind of confusing and confusion yeah. and set the law correctly so people can follow it. Well, you know, when this thing first happened, I, I looked up and, and, and I was surprised to learn how often many governors have used emergency powers. But what struck me is they were almost always very limited in terms of both time and location. You know, there is a flood someplace or a snowstorm or tornado or something and so a governor would issue emergency orders of some kind for a given county or a, a given area for a couple of a week or two or something of that nature but we've never, we've never really had anything quite this long so again i think the issue ought to be clarified one way or the other whether the governor does or does not have those kind of powers and it might be easier to clarify that once we get past the as i say the partisan bickering over the pandemic we had this issue uh, several years ago in Sanford when that dam broke. Exactly. And yeah. 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 And somehow we got past it. Uh, and I think the governor did what he did to call emergency powers together and and uh, resolve some issues on that uh, issue. Well, moving on, uh, U.S. Representative Debbie Dingell, a Democrat from Dearborn, appeared to have something of a short-spirited talk with President Joe Biden on Wednesday night after his speech to Congress. 
The topic? Autos, of course. He stopped and wanted to know if I was okay, Dinkle said on Thursday morning, adding that the president started talking to a group of Democrats on the House floor asking what they thought of the speech. When the subject turned to autos, she said uh, she told him she was working hard to bring everybody together by everyone. Dingle was referring to automakers and suppliers, labor unions, and the environmental community to help tease out a solution to what remains a sticky problem for the U.S., how to address climate change by moving to put more electric vehicles on the roads, while at the same time not gutting the union jobs making cars and trucks with internal combustion engines. Biden seemed pleased with his brief chat with uh, Dingle, offering her a fist bump as he moved on to others on the House floor. Aren't these groups already inclined toward working together? <laughs> yes. Mm, it's still confusing. They've been doing that for years. Uh, the union and, and uh, General Motors, I know, have been working on it. And, cost at General Motors a tremendous amount of dollars that helped to drive them into bankruptcy. It was those environmental laws they were crushing. And uh, so, um, you know, I, I believe they, they haven't forgotten what that does to manufacturing. It drives business off the shores because the cost of doing business is just too high here to put the labor and regulations, you know. So we got to somehow bring back those businesses that we've lost due to those uh, strangulating efforts in the past. The strangulating efforts. Wow. Strangulating. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think there's a big shift in priorities that's happening. That's, it's it's a, uh, a reassessment of what's at stake when you change regulations or when you decrease regulations. There is always that wrestling with what's the cost to the public if those regulations aren't there. You know, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not against the regulations. I'm for them. But, you know, yeah. I, you know, many other countries like in China and Japan and Europe, those, not so much in Europe, but in China and Japan, are very strongest um, uh, people who compete with us. Yeah. They are subsidized. The government subsidizes their business here. Mm. Government here has to pay out everything, and uh, it can't function if it doesn't have the dollars in its in its uh, in its vault to support research and drive innovation. Uh huh. And yeah. that's still a, a big issue that Americans have to look at. They just can't look at this is a Republican thing or or that is a, for a rich man or that. We are killing ourselves when we don't collectively argue for the same kind of things to save our country and save the way of life and save jobs for kids. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. You're talking about big priorities, big values, yes. and how you execute those values is, I think we're in, we're in the middle, we're in the midst of some big shifts on that. It's, uh, yes. Not, it's not easy to come up with the right answers in my view. What does it take to have a healthy country? <laughs> you know, I mean, what does it take to have a healthy country? You know, we've just been through this thing yeah. where almost 600,000 people have died, um, and it seems like there's no better moment than this one to try to figure out not only what does it take to have a healthy country, both actually physically, but also democratically. You know, we had the insurrection. Um, it seems like 
this is an exciting moment where we really bring some things back to, into greater health for the country. Thank you, Dan. I, I want to say this before I forget it. Um, you know, I just heard this morning or last night that the United States, of all countries in the world, has more people dying than it is producing. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, uh, did you see that? Yeah, that yeah I saw bodes, that. Yeah. That bodes badly for Americans. It and, does. And with, the par- with the paradigm shift upon us, that's going to be uh, also complicating. And uh, we're not doing enough to move in directions to save our democracy. For right. the first time since the Great Depression, I think that the, 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 the average life expectancy has dropped in the yeah. last year or so. We got a lot yeah. of things to talk yeah. about, and Jan, yeah. you should keep your position because it's it's very worthwhile to that we have um, statements from that direction who are negative toward big industry and asking them to do more to have a safe country so that we can begin to re- uh, to um, sustain our numbers so that our population won't die on the vine. And I would like to comment that in light of these big questions that um, that we've got on the table right now, you know, I, you know me, I always like to go in that these big questions. Um, to me, that's an argument for a resuscitation of uh, of federal government involvement. I, I feel like if you know that some of these issues, like if we've learned anything from the coronavirus, it's that this doesn't just stick in one local thing. The boundaries are. You, you, you know, the virus doesn't respect state boundaries or city boundaries. It's everywhere. So the solutions have to be macro solutions. And to me, um, mm-hmm. the coronavirus response has really indicated that I believe, I, you know, and I know people argue with me on this, but I believe that a federal government response, a big, bold federal government response, is the way to go now. We can't, we can't break it up into little pockets of change that there has to be. It's like an overall policy. And uh, Henry, I'd be curious to know where you're at on that now, because I know, you know, the traditional Republican view has always been, since at least the Reagan era, has always been smaller government. So I'm wondering how you're feeling about that these days. Well, you know, a large government doesn't do a lot for people. It's ineffective. There's lots of abuse. And of course, there's abuse in small governments, too. But it's harder to find. But when you when you have large government doing big things, it takes more people, take more money, it takes more time. You can't effectively change something quickly so that people can benefit from it. So there are a lot of things to say about maintaining government so that it's 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 effective. That's yeah, I mean, that's the key. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure the small is necessarily more efficient. It may be. But I, I mean, I'm going to say, take a look at the Flint City Council, or a lot of things we do locally. I mean, you can find a great many inefficiencies on the local level that I, that I would argue may even be worse than what you see in the national. The fragmentation of governments we see in in Michigan and in most states really is in many ways. But a I'm very not saying that you don't increase your numbers. With that, that was a design of the framers of the Constitution when we expanded from the east to the west and the north yeah. to the south. It's that we grew the government. The government became bigger and bigger and bigger. But it got bigger by design and not by accident or not by 
let's uh-huh. let's, yeah, let's pick it. this up. Let's pick this up some more when uh, when we return. We have to take a short break here, but we'll uh, we'll continue this conversation and armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program after we let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words. If you're or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So stay tuned. More straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov 
slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program continues now with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, joined by uh, Jan Worth Nelson. Um, by CNN's, I, I said uh, before we went to break, we will continue uh, our conversation, and this is something that sort of relates to what we were talking about. By CNN's rough count, Biden has made 29 total false claims in his first 100 days, about one every three and a half days on average. That's not cause for celebration, but CNN counted 214 false claims from Trump over his own first 100 days in office, more than two per day on average. And that was a very slow Trump period compared to what came later. Trump averaged about eight false claims per day in the full year tracked by CNN reporter Daniel Dale from August 2019 through July of 2020. Do you think that Biden is regarded as mostly reliable, or will it take a lot more than 100 days to build trust throughout the electorate? Well, um, I... Yeah, I'll take more and more. It, it'll take a lot of time because the trust has been been eroding for decades. Go ahead. Uh, gee, it wasn't just Trump. I think it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and one thing about um, Biden is that his team are correcting their mistakes when they make them, which is different from Trump, who just always doubled down and kept repeating his lies over and over again up to this very day. Um, uh, and I think it takes a lot for you know it's it takes a lot for people to um, to understand that uh, you know mistakes are going to be made and I admire the Biden administration folks for attempting to address things when they're mm-hmm. when something inaccurate comes out so um, there's a hell of a lot of cynicism out there about anything that people in authority are saying in line with our earlier conversation today. well it's like that it's it's like that yeah. joke I like to tell about the two politicians that are arguing and one says to the other are you lying to me and he says yeah but hear me out um, <laughs> true yeah henry, I like that. henry you got cut off uh, what, yeah what what did you want to say well i wanted to say um i don't know how much of this was in the mind of the framers of the constitution because they knew that we had some idiosyncrasies in how people would react and executing the law and stuff like that. So some of that stuff was expected, but nothing like <clears throat> what we're seeing today uh, with uh, just outright lies. And, yeah. and, uh, y- and you have a population that follows you. They trust you, just like a child. They put their hand in the hands of their leaders for them to pull around and guide and direct. But when you're not getting it right, that's bad, because that's helping to mislead me. 
and 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 uh, <clears throat> no matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican, the reason I criticize Republicans, I reserve the right to criticize the Democrats. Of course, and I do that. Yeah, yeah. If I can, if you guys, if you can see me criticize the Republican, the, the Democrat is next. So I get criticized by everybody, and that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. honest reporting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's uh, nobody is always right, guys. Absolutely and, right. And 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 uh, so I get a chance to to call on Democrats, and like I said, that when Gretchen Whitmer was was uh, mining votes uh, a little while ago, uh, I did that, and I think I said that twice on the show. And uh, but it, it doesn't mean that I'm just attacking her. I'm attacking the system of government, how it looks to me from these eyes. And yeah. also, and I have the public trust, and people do listen to me. They there are people that probably hate me, but there are some that respect me. Right, some I know there are. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, Henry. Yeah. Uh, rightly, rightly so. I you I know, know I've. What, what's been bugging me about some of the Democrats lately is what I've been calling the righteousness police. Um, there's a there's a really destructive, I think, tendency to totally punish people that don't say the, exactly the right words about something. And you know, as a journalist and as a writer, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of antsy about that. Like, yeah, I agree with that too, Jan. Yeah, I, and I, and I think it. I think that damages the possibilities of some of the, dare I say, far-left folks um, who, are so, who are so self-righteous that it drives away people who are on their side, basically, uh, if you don't exactly get everything right uh, or whatever they regard as right. And, Henry, you, I think you have a perfect right to criticize and critique that kind of stuff on the left. It's, uh, it's not good for the Democratic Party to have that much sort of self-righteousness and, um, you know, the, the purity tests that occur. Well, and as uh, I don't know if the constant of the Trump people is an equal, uh, you know, can be justified in the same way. Certainly not. I think it's just the shamelessness of it right now is just appalling. But there are, we are, there are some things on the left that I worry about and that I'm unhappy about, very much so. I, and and Henry is uh, always uh, pointing out that there are uh, divisions within both parties, and and we touched on that a little bit with the Republicans earlier. And here's another example of that: Republican representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia and Matt Gates of Florida have a lot in common, as each lawmaker increasingly increasingly finds themselves at the center of controversy. They often go out of their way to show public support for each other, raising concerns about the message they're projecting for the future of a party searching for its footing in the wake of the 2020 election. They've now formed a joint fundraising committee and are making plans to travel the country together on what they are calling an America First Tour. The pair were early and passionate supporters of former President Donald Trump, and they have no problem challenging the establishment leaders within their own party. As the pressure on each grows, they have formed an unsurprising bond 
often seen taking, uh, talking to each other on the floor of the House of Representatives, and they back each other up when others in the GOP aren't rushing to their defense. Is there any real power in this pairing? <laughs> well, I think there's this power in the sense that they, they attract attention, and unfortunately the sometimes the loudest and the craziest voices in either party end up attracting more attention than it is because they are... They're more entertaining. They're, in a sense, they're good copy, but they may not represent what, the, what either party is really about. Um, and as I say, it's, it, it may just be that they're, 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 they're like a circus sideshow. They are entertaining, but they may not represent the real world. Uh, it's hard to know, Paul. I mean, it, sometimes it feels like this is becoming the real world. In yeah, the yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, did you guys read Tom Friedman's column yesterday about how democracy is kind of, the civil war is still a possibility. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen that in several cases. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's lamenting the, the uh, um, one of the things that I admire about Henry is that he's lamenting the, sort of the death of policy, uh, you know, arguments from the GOP, that it's, those days seem to be gone, at least um, and uh, anyway, the crazies are the crazies are running the show right now, in my opinion. <laughs> the inmates have taken over the asylum, and there's there's some evidence of that in both parties. Yeah, right. The headline for it is Trump's big lie devoured the GOP, and now eyes are democracy. That's the headline of Friedman's column yesterday. Hmm. I did not see that. Yeah, I haven't seen but it either. I, no, they're not okay. You, America's democracy is still in real danger. In fact, yeah. here to a political yeah. civil war than any other time in our modern history. Today's seeming political calm is actually resting on a false bottom that we're at risk of crashing at any moment. And because Trump's big lie is it's not fading away, just the opposite is happening, first slowly and now quickly. Trump well, you know... The, the distrust of the election is, is that that's kind of a lie in a different category. You can you can squabble about uh, taxes or, or 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 this foreign policy or this issue or that issue, but when you really say that the the election was fake, you're really undermining the whole core of the democratic idea. That's that's it's almost a lie on a different level than other political exaggerations. We well, yeah, all there, the time. there there used to be that saying, um, and I can't remember who it was uh, that that first uh, first used it, um, but it's become kind of public domain, and that is, um, you're entitled to your opinion, but not your own facts. Right. And, right. And then along came alternative facts. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 maybe I am just totally naive and just stuck in the, some kind of 20th century BS, but I'm to, I am just, I continue to be shocked by the degree to which all of these Republican leaders are buying into this thing and continuing to buy into it. I, I just, I'm, I don't, I don't get it. I don't you get see, it. How that is. Well, that, that speaks to the kind of flack that Liz Cheney is getting. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know the only the only uh, fellow member of the GOP that stood up for was Mitt Romney, and he got booed at his own he state convention. 
And these yeah. people are not exactly left-wing radicals by any means. I mean, they're traditional Republicans <laughs> who were getting run out of the, run out by their own party. And, and then I saw a really strange <laughs> twist of fate, and that was when um, Nancy Pelosi stood up for Liz Cheney. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes. And yeah, then, now, now that's the kind of politics that we ought to be having. It, it is, country. but but here's what some of the uh, uh, some of the rogue uh, Republicans did with that is said. Well, you can tell how out of touch she is with the Republicans when Democrats are standing up for her. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I thought, oh man, does that <laughs> ever? I mean, how, how many of you guys believe that a Republican can be elected to office in every cycle without the Democrat vote? That this isn't Democrat. Oh, I, I agree that, with you, Henry. Or, I, or, or yeah. that uh, independent. We, so, but the Republicans get characterized, but the leaders get elected by uh, a cadre of different kind of people. Democrats, dissident Democrats. Um, Republicans, and by independents. That is a collection of people who vote people into office. But yet we deny that in our discussion. And, and uh, Republicans and Democrats who are dominant types and uh, who carry the banner for the Republican image or signal or sign or philosophy, uh, they are the ones that are driving the perspective on how Republicans react and how they are different from the mainstream Republican. Yeah, and, but and the, interesting. The mainstream Republican is is something altogether different. An interesting and example of that, Henry, is uh, last night there was a piece on the news about uh, a poll that was taken that said 37% of Republicans say they won't get the vaccination. And Sandy turned to me and said, well, if 37% won't get the vaccination, how do we get to 70%? And I had a reminder, <laughs> not 100% of the country are Republicans. This is 37% of the Republicans. <laughs> that, that but this, this country's, uh, the process for electing people are a lot different than what you see uh, on the surface. Could Ronald Reagan even have a shot at it, at getting a Republican nomination these days in the current party? It Someone like Ronald Reagan? Does seem that way? Well, here's yeah. here's an interesting thing that that sort of relates to what we're we're talking about a little bit um, because it does cross party lines. Um, Biden's consultations with the men who served in the White House before him amount to a robust return to the type of presidential dialogue that went by the wayside in the years before he took office. Except for a birthday call early in his tenure, President Donald Trump's only interaction with the past presidents was at the funeral for one of them, George H.W. Bush. By the end of his term, he'd publicly insulted them all. Biden, on the right. other hand, is making ample use of the advice and knowledge of those who faced similar decisions as he pursues one of the most sweeping agendas in recent history, all the while making clear where he thought mistakes had been made that he hopes to avoid. His outreach to the exclusive club of former presidents not only underscores his confidence in the role a longtime ally said, but also points to the ambitions he has long harbored. Um, 
And and when he reaches out to these these past presidents or the president's club, as they call it, these are both Republicans and Democrats. And the the question is, is it a good idea for a president to consult with past presidents? No, I think it's symbolically at least, and maybe if it's symbolically in reality, yeah, I think so. If it's yeah, Republican think... Party, he's got to be careful because he could carry the image of the same old stuff. And people want change. They want something different, something new. And uh, you, 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 this, is what, this is a danger to Obama. Obama has to disassociate himself so much from uh, our new president because otherwise he's muddy in the water. You know, I don't want something. I want something new as a voter only in the sense that I want things to get fixed. Yeah. Like, I want things to get fixed. I don't care if it's new or old. I want something to happen that will make things better. Uh, you know, uh, so if if it, I think it shows respect for the for the former president and what they struggled with for Biden. Yes, to do that. I do too. He, he knows that he he knows that you know you can't one person can't run the country single handedly, regardless of what Trumps used to act like. Um, and I, I find it reassuring, uh, you know, even even that he consults with George W. Bush. I, yeah, I, yeah. George W. Bush had some really, really hard things happen during his administration, and uh, yeah. it would seem that their their conversation could be useful to Biden. And just because uh, you consult and, with somebody doesn't mean you agree with them. You may disagree that, on right. serious terms. But very few they, people have... What did they teach you? What did they teach you in English when you're writing an article or writing a paper or a critique. You try to get both sides of the story. Yeah, they try to get you, first of all, to understand both sides of it and then hone it down so you can make a point. Uh, You can't hone a point down if you're considering everything out there. You've got to sharpen the focus. And And, and yet, in politics, we don't allow that as a process. Yeah, that's that's right. I feel like the whole thing that I used to teach, and I taught a class, I taught the second semester freshman writing class that focused on research writing and, you know, writing a research paper. And I feel like, my God, you know, nobody does that anymore. I mean, nobody follows the evidence. <laughs> yeah. They nobody, yeah. but rough days yeah. for, you know, we used to teach logical fallacies in English 112, that class. Uh, like, and logical fallacies are showing up in arguments that are being made Every day, politically, and sometimes on the left too, Henry. You know, uh, like, yeah. does anybody care anymore about the the logic of arguments that are being made, or about the what we need to learn from the actual evidence in front of us? You know, what was that famous quote from Trump about? Don't believe, don't believe what you're seeing, or don't believe your eyes. Uh, Jesus, you know, pardon my, pardon me, but I. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, that's where we're at right now. Is we? Oh, I got lost in my. Well, head. you know, I like uh, uh, the the fr- shapers of the Constitution. They were really interesting people. They didn't look, not look like me, guys. In case you don't know, I was not part of the. <laughs> it's a very it's different their logic. Yeah. It's their logic. It's their approaches. Somehow they got it right. Yeah. And and even though uh, I was not a part of the process, that's okay. But the Constitution was mutable enough so that we yeah. we transitioned into mm-hmm. the process. And this is that's life itself. That's yeah. what human beings do. 
So when, when the shapers of the Constitution said that we have to have people who are, who are intelligent, they, they may not have used the, the word intelligent, but learned, who were capable of reasoning and stuff like that, and capable of working together to maintain the integrity of the Constitution. And Alexander Hamilton was uh, one who really believed in that. And I believe in what they initiated. You have to have a government that's capable of moving things through the system to generate trust and dignity and respect. In the final, you've got to deliver the goods. In the final analysis, you've got yeah. to, you know, whatever party, whatever the cause is, you've got to got to come through some way. You can't spend all your time squabbling with the other party. You got right. to do we expect that now? Do we expect that now, or do we just want my side to win at all costs yeah. and damn everybody else? Is I know. I, I, I mean, again, uh, Henry, help me understand this. Mitch McConnell saying there will not be one vote for the infrastructure proposal, for instance. I mean, what can't we just say... From the Republicans. The, can, we keep, can we keep the door open? Somehow, I, I mean, well, I really don't think that we can move anything through the Congress without the support of the other side. You might get away with one or two, but it's all going to come back to the table. No, so, I mean, you can't function that way. Over time, how, how you might want to. The door is shut on any kind of compromise from day one. I I don't get that. I. To me, that yeah. If if you if you compromise, you're looked upon by you as a traitor by your own party. Unfortunately, yeah. But but yeah. that's where we got it wrong. Yeah. People are sent to La- to Washington, into Lansing, to do a problem for the American people. To solve something, not for yeah. self or not for uh, uh, you know m- minority groups. They're there to represent the great body of American people. Somehow we've lost that. We say to our elected officials, now when you go there, don't vote for any Republicans. Don't vote for any segments of what Republicans want. Or you might have the opposing argument. We can't yeah. run a country like that. And in Russia, no, so democracy no longer works. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Doesn't it appear that way? We can't yeah, get anything yeah. done collectively for the American yeah, get- people. Well, you know, Henry, to go back to your earlier argument, the founding fathers thought political parties were a terrible idea <laughs> and, and hoped they wouldn't happen, and they were wrong almost immediately, but uh, that was their initial thought, at least, that there wouldn't be any things we call political parties, for, for better or worse, uh, before the ink was dry in the Constitution, pretty much, you had, you had parties of sorts. Uh, but we can't get a, we can't get away from political parties, yeah, because I mean, we don't all ever, think alike. All, all nations have got their democracies have them. But yeah. uh, that may have been a pipe dream. <laughs> the ones that don't have them, I don't want to live there. Yeah, that's what I, mean. <laughs> I I mean, I think that what it mean, what it has driven us into is this thing where it's either or. It's one yeah. way or the other, 100% mm-hmm. this way or 100% that way. And, man, the modern world is so complicated. There's so many nuances on how to solve problems that that kind of forced polarization uh, just really limits our ability to come up with innovative solutions in my in my in well my point uh, and the idea was always that different points of view brought different things to the table and the idea was to build something that works for everyone 
Yeah. And and, and now it's it's win or lose. Yeah, it's a zero sum game. I Yeah. What what do you think is the uh is the answer to all of that? I mean, you know, Joe Biden is talking uh the right words to me, but I understand that a lot of Republicans are saying he's he's talking bipartisanship but he's not acting in a bipartisan way. Um but I I don't my personal view is if you hear Mitch McConnell using the rhetoric that he's using it seems like from the get get go, we, the answer is there will not be any bipartisanship. And we have to break right <laughs> hey, there. We'll be right back. <laughs> this is the unknown comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID nineteen. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them, in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, 
where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I can't believe how fast the time has gone today. We're already at the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, the segment I always look forward to. The X-Files, those weird and wacky stories that uh, (coughs) are hard to believe but yet are true. And fortunately, our show has been going a little smoother than a a recent uh, House committee hearing, subcommittee hearing, I think. Um, A hearing on the House uh, Appropriations Subcommittee of the uh, House Appropriations Subcommittee on Energy and Water Development on Monday was interrupted and briefly recessed because of audio of the village peoples in the Navy and audio from the movie Galaxy Quest bleeding into the, uh, the Zoom meeting. The committee continued holding the hearing with the movie and song playing in the background for nearly 20 minutes before subcommittee chairwoman Marcy Kaptur, a uh, Democrat from Ohio, was forced to call a recess to fix the technical difficulties. We've we've been informed that we have to take a brief recess now because we're having technical issues, Kaptur said, and we're going to be briefly uh, recessing for a second here, let them address those, and we'll be back very quickly. Sorry to do this. This hasn't happened before, but it's a new age, she said. To their credit, members were able to continue testifying while the movie track and music played in the background during the testimony of Democratic-Republican Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas, a character in the uh, movie uh, Galaxy Quest, could be heard cheering, Never give up. The hearing later resumed, but was somewhat less interesting without the heroic music playing. Should uh, should Congress have a soundtrack? That might be a possibility for the future. I right? can think of all, all sorts of movie backgrounds for many of these issues. <laughs> well, I think everything is theater. It's hyperbole. But we've forgotten to search for the things that connect together that since to signify that we have reached a truth that all can 
agree with. That, that's the intent of life, isn't it? That's the intent of research, that's the intent of our effort to search for the truth, not for hyperbole, and not, of course, for theater. <clears throat> but it is fun anyway, I guess. Well, here's, here's another one a little closer to home. If this particular sturgeon had sneakers and slippery post moves, she could dominate the basketball world. She already has the pro-style st- uh, pro size at 6 feet 10 inches and 240 pounds. But her, but her age might be an issue. She's probably older than 100, officials say. The river monster, presumed to be female, was captured by a crew surveying the Detroit River near Gross Isle in uh, Michigan last week. The Alpena Fish and Wildlife Conservation Office wrote on Facebook. Not surprisingly, it's one of the biggest lake sturgeon ever caught in the U.S., according to the office. While tagging the massive creature before quickly releasing her back into the water, the crew took a picture of the fish and 5-foot, 6-inch crew member Jennifer Johnson laying side by side. One Facebook jokester wrote she could be the sturgeon general. <laughs> Johnson... But she- She's been uh, eating all of that sewage that's just charged yeah. from all of those communities there. Johnson and her U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service colleagues Paige uh, Wigren and Jason Fisher had five lines in the water last Thursday and one lured in the whopper, according to the Detroit Free Press. Hauling the fish aboard took several minutes. It took all three of us to heave her over the side of the boat, Wigrin said to the newspaper. The Alpena Fish and Wildlife Conservation Office called it a once-in-a-lifetime catch. If they hadn't taken a picture, do you think people would believe this fish story? No. <laughs> this is a real story, right? Yeah, yeah, I've seen the okay. photograph. I see, I've seen oh. the picture, too. Yeah, it's, 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 it appears to be genuine. There's, there's a picture of a guy laying next to this fish. The fish is bigger than the guy. It's, it's a big fish. Yeah. Well, six feet, ten inches tall. Yeah, she could dunk. <laughs> and here's, here's one. A Canadian woman has set a very high bar by singing a very low note. Joy Chapman, a singer from Surrey, British Columbia, has officially set the Guinness World Record for lowest note ever sung by a female. Chapman's noteworthy achievement came in February after she hit a C-sharp note at 34.21 hertz with her talented pipes. Chapman has been singing all her life and noticed her voice was more versatile than the voices of other singers, but it was only in the last few years that Chapman decided to take a deep dive into doing low notes. But with the help of her niece, who is also a singer, Chapman began researching the lowest possible note a human being could sing. Her niece discovered that in 2019, British singer Helen Leahy sang from a D5 to a D2 note at 72.5 hertz, but she was confident her Aunt Joy could beat that. Chapman said she's confident she can sing even lower and plans to raise the bar even higher in the future. Um, Do you think she has a a future recording songs like Old Man River and Swing Low? (laughs) Oh, 
I would yeah. buy her first album. Or should I say, <laughs> Sing Low, Sweet Chariot. <laughs> you know, I would Sing Low, which, was she a smoker? I, do, I don't know. You know, uh, smoke has a lot to do with uh, the race tone. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. most that you can sing. Uh, have you read that? Have you read any accounts on that? Uh, no, but from personal experience, I tend to agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wraps it up for uh, today's edition of the uh, X Files on Armchair Politics, and uh, yeah, we have a couple minutes left. Any any final thoughts? Uh, I was going to say one thing to watch with regard to the election is whether or not this might be the uh, the last May election. There's a proposal in, in Lansing that would combine the May uh, May election and the August primary. Now it may or may not go anywhere. We'll see. But there's a possibility, let me a long shot, that we may see a June election instead of the May and the August ones. Well, and we got rid of the uh, the February one. Are we That's right. Just, are we going to just drop special elections other than the uh, occasional one for uh, vacancies? You wonder. I, I, again, who, I, as I say, it's gone through the state house. It's still got to go through the Senate, and it's got to be signed by the governor. And there are some doubts about both of those, but who knows? It's a possibility. Yeah, no, I, I, I have a problem with talking about whether things were going to get worse or they were getting better, can we uh, do legislation that's meaningful to all of the people? But there's one problem that we need to consider, and that is as we move into the future, the population is rising and resources are declining. So that's going to make things worse. As we have learned from history, we've learned that from to science and stuff like that. So we need to be discussing how we deal with problems that will help to eliminate or reduce the impact of that kind of a problem, particularly we do. And then there's, uh, there's the paradigm shift. All of these things are going to play into difficult roles for Americans to deal with. Um, we need to be, begin that process of just discussing them. How do we go about it? We can't solve any other problems. So why not cut some of the others off at the gap? Well, Henry, it is great to have mm. you back. We missed you those couple of weeks you were gone, and uh, it's it's great to have you back, Henry Hatter. And I want to say thanks to uh, everybody at the roundtable, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, our roundtable regulars. Thank you. And also, it's always fun when Jan Worth Nelson joins us as well from East Village Magazine. Jan, it was great to have you, you with us again. Jan is who makes me better. Oh, you do, I used Henry. to think it was Paul. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I think maybe we should we should plan to do uh, an in-person uh, edition of Armchair Politics on July seventh. Sounds like sounds like a plan. And Jan, you, and you should join us. We'll we'll do it on the deck at my place, and uh, and and maybe that that'll start us getting back to normal a little bit anyway smoking george winters tickling the ivories i want to say thanks again to uh, chris douglas economist from university of michigan flint for joining me during the first hour and of course our roundtable regulars for armchair politics um 
anyway, I guess I'm headed down the hall to the living room. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.